0: You know it. Uh, it's still daunting. To uh, I know every one of you almost by name, but there's something about and talking to individually with you is one thing, but when everybody's looking at you, it's uh, it. Uh, oh, your heart quickens a little bit. And, Palms get a little sweaty, you know, and you, you uh, little feel that little twinge in your stomach, you know, because it's just uh, the uh, considering that from the time that uh, Paul or that John, rather, and 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 Peter stood up before uh, in Jerusalem and preached a sermon and three thousand were saved, that's been over two thousand years ago, and how many sermons have been preached uh, since that time uh, all over the world. And so really to think that you have something to add to that is uh, pretty daunting, really and truly. Uh, I want to uh, just say I'm so glad that each and every one of you are here. If you're watching, glad that you're joining us this morning. And uh, I wanted, I did want to say a couple of things real quick. For all the people that we've been praying for my wife, we appreciate it. It was a it was a God thing. And uh we couldn't have done it. Uh I don't think it could have come out any other way, uh, without your prayers. And uh we just appreciate that. My small group, thank you for all that you've done. Uh Secondly, I just wanted to say, uh, as we're closing up on the apostles, uh, the end of the apostles creed, I don't know if you've noticed, but all the elders have preached as well as Ted, uh, so, uh, they've all done a great job, and so I feel, uh, I feel the pressure, uh, to come through right here at the end after all, after they've all done such a good job, uh. And then uh, one other thing I was going to mention was that uh, uh, this is a, this is a uh, for me, a uh, subject, forgiveness is such a part of our lives as Christians that uh, it gets emotional for me, and so if I get emotional, I'm sorry, uh, you'll just have to overlook it. <clears throat> okay, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray first. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, for, Lord, that, uh, for the anointing of your word, that it is powerful, that it is active, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, open our hearts, Lord, that we would uh, hear you speak to us today father we just thank you so much for your precious son we thank you so much for what he did father we just uh, can't believe lord that uh, that you loved us lord enough lord to send your son and so we just praise you today and lord we just uh, we just look to you lord as the author and the finisher of our faith and we just Praise you in every way today, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this is kind of a uh, this is kind of a good news, bad news kind of sermon, and uh, I decided we would do the bad news first. So, uh, so the first thing that we're going to talk about is sin. Unfortunately, it's a subject that uh, we are all very familiar with. In case uh, you were delusional enough to think that you don't sin, uh, the word of God tells us otherwise. Uh, In Romans, where we were, oh, I don't know, two years ago, uh, we know that uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then John, in 1 John, he tells us, uh, if you think you're not sinning, you're deceived. And so, uh, unfortunately, sin is something that we uh, have inherited. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. Uh, Sin, if you're looking at, I looked it up, I just pulled up the dictionary definition of sin. And it says sin is an immoral act considered to be a transgression against divine law. So when you think about divine law, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is the Ten Commandments. So you've got, uh, you shall not have any other God before me, shall not make any graven images, shall not take the Lord's name in vain, you remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, honor your father and your mother, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal shall not bear witness or false witness against your neighbor and you shall not covet Uh, that's conviction enough if we stopped right there Uh, then Jesus came along and he said well it's not just the letter of the law but it's the spirit of the law he said uh, if you look at a woman and you lust after her that you've committed adultery already so Sin uh, is well-defined in what we do and who we are, and we're going to see the reason for that in just a second. The origin of sin, I would say, started uh, with Lucifer, who was an archangel, very talented musician, uh, very beautiful, called him the morning star. And uh, you can read some of what uh, uh, of the story. There's, there were many places in Scripture, but Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, uh, we're not going to go there, but we're just uh, if you want to look that up, if you want to study on that a little bit, uh, talks about the fall of Lucifer. Uh, he became so enamored with himself and uh, thought that he was so <coughs> uh, beautiful. And uh, that he decided that he would exalt himself above God, so he thought. And so uh, at which point he was ejected uh, from heaven along with uh, some buddies of his. So we see the very origin of sin springing from pride and rebellion. And really all sin uh starts at that point if you if you trace it all the way back. Uh, pride and rebellion are the very uh starting point for all of sin. And so we're gonna look at uh what we looked at roughly, I don't know, ten months ago when we started in Genesis. Uh we're gonna we're gonna just look back at just a little bit of that. Uh, let's look at Genesis three. Uh, uh, verse 4, chapter 3, verse 4. When uh, the serpent is talking to Eve and, uh, about the fruit, and he says, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So his approach was to use the same thing that was his downfall and see if he could uh, appeal to their pride, That he, if he could appeal to uh, them to be like God. That was what he promised. Uh, so this is where it starts. Uh, Satan entices Adam and Eve, and they take a bite, and almost immediately they learn that sin can't deliver what it promises. Sin never delivers what it promises, uh. The devil is very good at dressing it up and shining it up and making it look real pretty and it looks attractive and it looks good. But as soon as you take a bite, it may taste sweet in your mouth, but by the time you swallow it, it nauseates you. And this so is the nature of sin. So immediately we see uh, instead of being like God, their innocence is vanquished. Uh, it's vanished in a bite. A sense of guilty conscience and a sense of shame possesses their souls because immediately it says they went out and they got some fig leaves and, and they, they, uh, so this shame has now overtaken them and they became futile in their thinking and that imagining that a few fig leaves were going to conceal uh, and make themselves presentable before a holy God. Uh, Their fellowship is now broken with their creator. Uh, Rather than fellowshipping with him as he walks through the garden in the cool of the afternoon, they now dread him, and at the very sound of his voice, they attempt to hide thinking once again that somehow they are going to conceal themselves and what they did from the eyes of an omniscient God. So immediately, what they thought they wanted, they now understand that they don't want it all. Uh, So we see the results, and we start to see the effects and the nature of sin as it compounds... Uh, through the human race through Adam, and it starts in the garden with Adam and Eve so if we just look just a few verses ahead in Genesis 3 uh, verses 11 and 12 and God he said who told you that you were naked have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from do you think God asked that question because he needed the information? All through, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he always opens the door for us to have a way to repent. His question was not because he needed to know. His question was to give Adam and Eve an opportunity to confess their sins and repent. But rather than that. Sin having now entered them. They did what we do. What sin does. What sin does to us. In verse 11. And he said. <clears throat> uh, in verse 12 it says. And the man said. The woman who You put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. So immediately we see sin permeating our, our, uh, our forefathers here. And so when caught red-handed, rather than confess and repent, we justify and blame. It's her fault. So, first thing he does is throw Eve under the bus, and then he tries to make it out like it's God's fault because he was the one who uh, who gave him the woman. So now, so right after, so sentence you go read on the rest of chapter three, and sentence is pronounced uh, guilty, and we are now cursed. They are driven from the garden. And uh, you can read the curse. Uh, Sin is now hereditary. It's now passed down to all that came from the seed of Adam and Eve. And you don't have to look far to see the results of sin magnifying, compounding, and growing. If you just turn over... uh, one chapter, in, uh, in chapter 4, the very first person who was born on this earth, which is Cain, firstborn of Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were created, so the first person actually born into this world was Cain. He was an angry, lying, murdering, mocker of God. That's what we've come to in one generation of sin. Uh, So in Genesis 4, starting in uh, verse 3, let's read the next couple of verses and look at what sin has done in such a very short amount of time. Uh, In the course of time, Cain... Brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now I don't, you know, uh, when I was reading this, it's the way that it's worded. I don't know. This is this is just me. This is the, this is gospel according to Bruce. It just kind of seems like the way it says Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. It was like he just grabbed up a few things and threw it in a basket, as opposed to Abel who brought the very best of what he had. it doesn't say it doesn't say that Cain brought the first fruits, which is what God requires, uh, and which Abel did but uh, and we know from the book of Hebrews that the biggest difference was that uh, Abel's Sacrifice was brought in faith, and Cain's was not. So we see the difference there between the two offerings. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain became very angry, and his face was downcast. So as soon as things don't go just the way that he wants, if I'm reading this right where it says very angry, uh, I would assume he just had a temper tantrum. I think he just flew way off the handle to the point where you could look at his face and tell that he was just madder than a wet hand. He was, he, was he was beside himself with anger uh, because uh, his little throw-together offering with no faith did not please God. So it angered him to uh, a point that uh, we'll see in just a minute. And then as always, once again, God initiates a conversation uh, with the transgressor. Uh, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right... Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin, that's the first time the word sin is used in the Bible, uh, in 4 uh, 7. Uh, that's the first time you'll see it in Scripture. Uh, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God tells him all that he has to do is right. Go back, get your offering, bring it in faith, and you can be restored, and everything can be okay. God gives him that place, that opportunity to come back and come to him. Uh, That sin that's crouching at the door, I believe is just God is saying, If you won't go any further down this road, it can stop right here. But if you keep going, it's right around the corner. There's going to be more sin and more sin and more sin. It's waiting on you, and it wants you. It desires to have you. Here, sin is almost used in a personal sense. as a person. as a thing uh, rather than an act. But it says sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God's telling us to rule over sin. And I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me, but I don't... Uh, ruling over my sin is kind of like herding cats. Uh, if I try and do it on my own, I can't hold it together. It's going, they're going all over everywhere. You couldn't... You'd have to be a cattle baron to raise enough cows to make up for all the sin that I would have to be sacrificed for. But but that's what God has told us to do, is to rule over sin. Not be ruled by sin, but to rule over sin. So let's look at Cain. Uh, Let's go a little bit further. Rather than stop and repent and be reconciled to God, In verse 8, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So we see a pattern, another nature of sin. Besides it not being able to uh, deliver what it promised, sin is ever escalating. It's never enough. And once you start down that road, uh, it grows in, by monumental proportion. So he, he enticed his brother. He premeditated. So this was premeditated. He knew what he was going to do. He didn't just get out there and get mad. Uh, he premeditated the murder of his brother, uh, who for no, for no other reason other than, I mean, Abel had done nothing to Cain. Only because his sacrifice was accepted by God is now enough for Cain to kill his brother. Not, there was no personal affront there uh, as far as Abel to Cain was concerned. It was it was strictly uh, the deficiency uh, and the lack of the faith that Cain brought his offering. And so here we see... Uh, Here we see a repeat, almost, of the parents. Uh, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? Here again, God didn't need to know where Abel was. Uh, He's given Cain the opportunity one more time to confess what he did and repent and come back to God. But, As true to form, as sinners go, Uh, Abel says, I don't know. Well, we're lying already after we're murdering. And then he replied in in a way that mocks God, am I my brother's keeper? It does not pay to mock God, Uh, but sinners have no choice. They have no understanding. In Galatians 6 and 7, we're not going to go there, but it says, do do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So here we see the ever-escalating power of sin that we inherit. Fast forward in time to Paul in the book of Romans, and let's read chapter one, starting in verse 28. I miss the sound of pages flipping. I'm old school. Long time ago when. You said, let's look at somebody. Everybody went all flipping things. You heard all the pages flipping. Uh, But let's look at, uh, by the time we get uh, to the time of Paul, uh, after Jesus, he kind of sums it up. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a deprived mind so that they they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree and that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things but also approve of those who practice them. It's the state that we are in as sinners. That's pretty... uh, that's pretty straightforward. Uh, what Paul sums up there as our state, we know that from Romans, the study of Romans two years ago, and in, in six twenty-three, it says the wages of sin is death. And so, even though, even though, as sinners, we've heard the word of God. And we've heard it said, we know what he has decreed, and yet we continue to do just exactly what we do. We keep on going down that road of sin, and it's a broad highway. Jesus tells us that wide is the path, and many there are. God has provided exit ramps. All, I mean, this, it's your, your GPS ought to be telling you to turn around And go back the other way. Turn around and go back the other way. Get off of this highway that you're on and turn around and repent and go back to God. But it says that no, they don't do that. They don't do that. That they continue to do these very things. And not only that, but they approve of people who do them. So here we are in this state. I had a couple of thoughts that uh, I just. Thought that we ought to throw in as uh, as part of uh, the magnitude of this problem of sin that we have, uh, the first one in Numbers uh, fourteen twenty eight. I'm sorry, fourteen eighteen. Get in the right verse here. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving. <clears throat> Sin and rebellion, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. he punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. so I don't know, just I thought about some things that I've heard people say about sin, and they say, Oh well, I'm not really hurting anybody else. uh well, this scripture tells us that that's not true uh, second thing is. Well, I'll just sit here. I'll just do nothing then, okay? How about that? How about I just not do anything at all? Well, in James, chapter 4, verse seven and 17, uh, if anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So it's not just commission, but it's omission. Uh, The Word of God is powerful. Uh, Back to Numbers 23. Another one of those uh, kind of verses. I'm sorry. 32. I'll get there. 32, verse 23. I would have made little sticky tabs, but I got so many of them, I wouldn't have been able to keep up with all the sticky tabs. Uh, but if you fail to do this, this is the Lord speaking, you will be sinning against the Lord. And you may be sure that your sin will find you out. So, so much for it being my little secret. Uh, David came to mind. You know, David's up on the rooftop instead of being out in the battlefield like he ought to be. And he sees another man's wife and desires her. uh, Invites her in. Has her husband killed. And marries her, and thinks everything's good, but uh, we find out that his sin found him out. You can read what David thought said about that in Psalms 51. Uh, and then, lastly, in Hebrews 4. and 13 <clears throat> for the word of God is alive and active and sh- <clears throat> sharper than any two-edged sword it penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit the joints of the marrow it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give account. You can't rationalize away your sin. You can't blame it away. You can't justify it away. God knows even what your very thoughts and your attitudes are. So that's the bad news, and about all the bad news <laughs> you can handle at one time, but I, I thought that it necessary to realize the magnitude of the solution, you need to realize the magnitude of the problem, and it is a great big one. Uh, so, so now, we'll look at the solution, and it's much happier, I promise. Uh, but as we've seen, and this is the first thing is, is uh, this is a God-sized problem. Mankind was totally and is totally incapable of lifting himself out of this mire. He cannot do it. You can't read. There's no self-help book that you can read. There is one book that you can read, but it's the only one. Uh, there will be no other help found anywhere else that comes from man. If you left it, if God had left it up to man at any stage, at any point, we could not have ever obtained forgiveness of sins. Uh, The diagnosis, uh, you know, there are some, for those of you medical, there are some diagnoses that the death sentence, And we have it. We're terminal. Without a miracle from God. But as our pastor likes to say. But God. So it's easy to say. And I know that you're already thinking. Well I know the answer. We all know the answer. It's just Jesus. That's true. That is true. But. To uh, You need to really understand and know the depth of what, oh, it's just Jesus, is really all about. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 6, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, that no eye shall has seen, no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. These are all the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. We could not have ever conceived of what it took to obtain our righteousness. But God had it figured out, it says, before time began. Before time was, He already had this figured out. He had already had a plan, He already knew what was going to happen. So, as much as the time as we want to make it sound like, or we want to sometimes wonder how. Can God have this actually in control? Does he have it in control? Yes, he does. Since before time began, he had it under control. Only this is revealed only by the spirit of God. When Peter when Peter made his great confession, Jesus looked at him and he said, "Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. The things of God are revealed to us by the spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit and 1 Corinthians 1:18. It says, "For the message of the cross is foolish to those foolishness to those who are perishing. We can't, as human beings in our flesh, comprehend the things. We can't conceive the things that God has for us and the things that God does for us. So Jesus, to achieve our forgiveness (parentheses, redemption, atonement, salvation). Uh, the sacrifice had to be exactly what was required by God's justice because God is a loving God, but God is a just God, and sentence had been pronounced. And so if sentence is going to be revoked, the law of God and the justice of God has to be satisfied. It had to be flesh and blood. It had to be the seed of the woman. It had to live and walk on this earth without a single sin, without a spot. It had to be perfectly sinless so that no charge could be made against him in heaven and hell. Where do you find someone to meet those qualifications? Who would you find that would volunteer for this job knowing the journey that they're going on, the humiliation the suffering and the pain. Who's going to volunteer for this job and who's going to be qualified? Who can stand between God and man and purchase our eternal salvation? God's choice of the person, this is a quote from Arthur Pink, God's choice of the person who always, who was to be the restorer of his honor, the vanquisher of Satan, the victory of death and the deliverance of his fallen people was a perfect one as we read in uh, first corinthians 2 a minute ago before time began god the son raised his hand he said here am i send me the very perfect son of god and yes the answer is jesus But it took the wisdom and the power of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to secure it. Our forgiveness. So, the who. We know that. We're going to read a couple of verses. Ephesians. Chapter 1. Verse 7. For in him, Christ Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. By Jesus Christ's precious blood, we have the forgiveness of sin. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us here's this word again, the mystery of his will. <clears throat> Only God can reveal this mystery to us, to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he <clears throat> which he purposed in Christ. and then in chapter and then chapter two, page over, chapter two, verse eight. Just so that we all know that there's nothing that says for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is only by the power of God and by the grace and the mercy of God that we have our forgiveness. So we know the who, and so what's the how? Here again, God had it figured out. Since before time began. Way back in the Old Testament. God set it up. So that. uh, That blood. Which represents your very life. Is what would be the atonement for sin. In Hebrews. Hebrews. Chapter 9. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. So, long ago, the priest would enter into the Holy of Holies after, with the blood of animals. And there would be a holy exchange made. That exchange would be the sins of the people and of that animal. And his life was drained out by the shedding of his blood. And And the people were cleansed. There's an exchange that happened with us. It says that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for me. That I might be the righteousness of God. So we look at, this is explained just a little bit further. Go down a couple of verses in Hebrews 9 and 25. It says, For he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not our own, not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the, at the culmination of the ages To do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as the people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. This ought to make you dance down the aisles. This ought to make somebody say amen. amen. Glory to God. We had no chance. We were terminal. Death was our sentence. Jesus, the very Son of God, left everything in heaven and came to this earth and died the cruelest death that you can even imagine for our sins that we might be forgiven. Do I believe in the forgiveness of sin? You bet it. You bet I do. You bet you. Uh, and so hopefully you've all already put this together far before I even uh, was up here. But we did it just last week. I, I almost wish we could do it again today. Uh, I wish we could uh, take the Lord's Supper. But just as we did last week, and just like we do every time that we take the Lord's Supper, and then he took the cup, that's Jesus, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin." glory hallelujah the forgiveness of sin without it really none of the rest of the apostles creed really matters because if we don't get commuted from our sin we won't be here so real quickly i have a little challenge just a little Imagine with me a little story you uh you walk out of your house one day out to the mailbox, start pulling out mail, and you know I don't know i do i you know I can't wait till I get inside I have to start you know, I have to flip through it and see what all it is, you know, but uh so you're flipping through the catalogs and the sales flyers that they sent and everything, and then. Uh, there's an envelope from the bank that holds the mortgage on your house. Huh. So you can't stand it. You rip it open. You look in there, and it says, someone's paid your mortgage. You are debt-free. They have paid the mortgage. Uh, Oh, there's one from GMAC. Somebody paid off your car. Oh, there's one from Visa and MasterCard and Discover. Somebody paid the balances off. (laughs) Now, my question would be, and here's the challenge, would you take the mail and stick it under your arm and stoically walk into the house without so much as an expression on your face? I think not. I mean... Do you think you would bother to mention it to somebody? Possibly? I think so. I think probably you would pull your significant other and all the neighbors out of their houses wanting to know what is wrong with you. Take what Jesus has done for you and tell somebody. Somebody. Tell somebody what he did for you. You might even, when we sing a song here in just a minute, you might even want to raise your hands. Say, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving my sins. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you today.